All right. Here we are, day after the debate. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. What did you get? What did you take away from the debate? Because I'm going to be doing an after-action review with Candace Carroll from the Americans for Prosperity in the next segment, and we're going to see what we see. I I think I know who won it as far as the ones there, and I think I know who won it as far as the ones not there. And uh, you know that's that's all that's all open to uh, perception, though. This isn't, however, GS Plumbing Talk Line. 1-800-905-0989. Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Now, roundabout Panama time. They started here in the United States messing with trying. Well, they've been doing it for a while. They started really in World War II, but what they did was they had war correspondents who didn't really get embedded because you had people in the military whose task was to go out there and film it for his, you know, for, for historic value, to put it in an archive somewhere. A lot of the footage you see about World War II was done by some military guy. And they did it with, I mean, honestly, the, under the worst conditions, with the worst kind of equipment you could have done it with. They would have been so much easier with today's stuff. But anyway, they did it. They got it done. That has become, uh, they, they like that because, uh, you know, carnage gets clicks it gets views carnage is good so <laughs> here we have these two wire services now talking about ap and reuters they had reporters embedded with hamas on october the 5th and on october the 6th and they were aware on October the 5th and 6th, there was a ceasefire between the two, between the two parts, between Israel and Hamas. They were aware that October the 7th was going to be a big news day. So they were there on the scene, ready to capture the moment, ready to put it on video, a 4K for you. They decided it was all newsworthy. If they were freelancers, or maybe Reuters and AP were paying them. Who knows? But then there's this thing called honest reporting. On October, this is what they say. On October 7th, Hamas terrorists were not the only ones who documented the war crimes they had committed during their deadly rampage across southern Israel. Some of their atrocities were captured by Gaza-based photojournalists working for the AP and Reuters news agencies whose early morning presence at the breach border area raises serious ethical questions. What were they doing there so early on what would ordinarily have been a quiet Saturday morning? Was it coordinated with Hamas? Did the respectable wire services, which published their photos, approve of their presence inside enemy territory, together with the terrorist infiltrators? Did the photojournalists who freelance for other media like CNN, the New York Times, notify these outlets? And judging from the pictures of the lynchings and the kidnappings and the storming of an Israeli kibbutz, it seems like the border had been breached not only physically, but journalistically. We even know who these cats were. Hassan Izalaya, a freelancer who took photos of a burning Israeli tank and a selfie of himself in front of the tank, and then got pictures of terrorists entering the kibbutz Kafar Azah. 
Maybe he was just living nearby in a tent or something and jumped out with his Quasar camcorder when he heard the ruckus starting. Or maybe the AP paid him. This guy has a picture of himself getting a kiss from Yaya Sinwar, who was the mastermind behind the attack. So, so sweet. Then you had Ali Mahmoud and Hatim Ali. Mahmoud captured the broken body of that little, you know, that young lady, Shiny Luke. He was the one, that's where we get the pictures and the video of her broken body in the back of that truck headed to Gaza. And notice that when he's filming this poor dead young lady, that nobody was, nobody was stopping him. Nobody was uh, doing anything to him. Nobody was, uh, was harming him in any way. So he was welcome there to do it. Ali was capturing pictures of people being kidnapped. And at Reuters, they paid two, photogra two photographers, Mohammed Fak Abu Mustafa and Yasser Kudi, who just happened to be there in time to capture that burning Israeli tank, as well as that, you know, they pull the Israeli soldier's body out of the tank and drop him and drag him all over the place. And one thing about Arabs, right? One thing about Arabs, Battle 101 for them. If they kill you, you being dead is not enough. They're going to kill, they're going to mess with your body for days. They get half a chance they're going to desecrate your body. And, you know, once again, maybe these photographers and videographers, maybe they, they were just real journalists who heard something was happening, living nearby, put on their press pass, huddled over to document the situation as an observer. But, Back to honest reporting, and we get this. It's now obvious that Hamas had planned its October 7th attack on Israel for a very long, uh, very long time. Its scale, its brutal aims, and its massive documentation have been prepared for months, if not years. Everything was taken into account, the deployments, the timing, as well as the use of body cams and mobile phone videos for sharing atrocities. It is conceivable to assume that journalists just happened to appear early in the morning at the border without prior coordination with the terrorists, or were they part of the plan? Even if they didn't know the exact details of what was going to happen once it unfolded, did they not realize they were breaching a border? And did they notify the news agencies when that happened? Some sort of communication was undoubtedly necessary before, after, or during the attack in order to get the photos published. Now, it's one thing to embed journalists with these, with these groups. It's another thing entirely to be paying money to people who uh, have advanced knowledge of a massacre plan. And maybe they did this because they saw this as a way to make some money. The, the outrageous notoriety of it all. And uh, in May of 2021, Israel destroyed a building in Gaza that housed only not, not only Hamas terrorists. And when you are a terrorist and you're in a building, you've just made that building a legitimate military target. But that also housed the AP offices as well. <laughs> so, see, here's the thing about Israel. Like it or not, no matter what you may hear, no matter what you may hear from the Talibs of the world. Um, 
if Hamas lays down their weapons and says, you know what, we're done with this, we're tired of this, then there's going to be peace. Well, there, there, there would have been. There would have been. I don't think there's peace now. I think Hamas is going to be eradicated. And they should be. They should be eradicated because they've shown who they are. Believe it. But Israel just wants to live in peace. No matter what you may hear from some of the conspiracy theorists or the Zionist people out there that push that, that's really what they want. And in the interim, the fake stream media, which you should never trust, they've just taken on a little more sinister tone for me. Because if they knowingly had reporters in there with them, and if the reporters knew what was coming, Why didn't this get told to somebody? Why, why, would you, why would you allow a story like this to unfold in front of you? Where is, where is the humanity of this? Where, where, what, what, what kind of disconnect does it take to sit there and go, oh, we're going to go see a bunch of Jews get butchered. Put on the, put on the macro lens because that will get really good detail up close. Put that on. sort of sad that I know what a macro lens is, doesn't it? Isn't it? But anyway, I find that incredibly monstrous. Say what you will. Coming up next is going to be Candace Carroll from Americans for Prosperity. We are going to after action review the uh, third Republican debate. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right. It's so hard to be a politician and want to debate. You have to go to places like Miami. That's horrible. Yep, yep, yep. Joining me now from Americans for Prosperity is Candace Carroll. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I, I want you to know, just for you, I stayed up late last night watching the debate just so I could know what to talk about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting well, at least old. it was earlier than the previous two debates. Lisa yeah. started at eight, started at nine, ended the, about an hour earlier. So I'm with you. Those those first two super late nights are hard for sure. So your overview, your first your first blush. What did you think about that one? So first of all, I was excited to see the field start to narrow a little bit. This field has been too broad for for too long, and so we have the five candidates that were up there. Last night, I fully anticipated going into it that um, Ambassador Haley was going to get hit on some foreign policy issues, especially with everything that has transpired from the previous debate um, and now with with multiple wars going on across the world. So something that I was fully anticipating what happened and absolutely, absolutely did. So, you know, I think that that's something that voters, as we've been talking to folks, the voters across South Carolina, that they were eager to hear how are these candidates going to differentiate themselves when it comes to foreign policy. Um, folks, you know, and we hosted a, wait, a debate watch party in Greenville last night with around 50 folks, and a number of those folks said that she, her grasp on foreign policy seemed to really stand out more so than some of the other candidates. That being said, 
families are still struggling with Bidenomics um, and are still struggling to put food on the table from grocery stores. Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas, trying to figure out how they're going to spend that time and those limited resources, financial resources for their families. And, you know, we have candidates who are, some of them are saying some good stuff. Some are, you know, feel a little lackluster. And I didn't necessarily walk away from last night thinking, hey, here's a clear winner out of these five particular candidates. I think some, you know, had their, some had their moments more than others, but none in particular that it's like you walk away of like this person was a clear debate winner and, you know, clearly in second place or, or anything like that. So I'm eager to see what comes up in December now that we have a December date for the next watch party. What about you, Bill? Did you, um, what are your thoughts on last night? So I, I think it would be interesting to see Haley on stage without Ramaswamy there because it sort of uh, yes. sort of devolved into a snipe hunt. And I, I would watch DeSantis sort of back away a couple of shots, you know, a couple of steps from the lectern so they could eyeball each other while they were going at each other. And uh, I found the way they lined them up to be quite interesting, too, because it's sort, of, it's sort of like they decided who the outliers were when they had Scott and Christie on the ends and. Uh, Ramaswamy, who I don't think is actually a factor, he was in there close to uh, to DeSantis, and of course Haley was there as well. And uh, the, the the one thing I don't understand, and maybe you can explain this to me, what was she talking about when she said five? In- I wear five inch heels as ammunition. What is? <laughs> what was she? I've gotten that question a couple of times, yeah. um, and I I don't I'm not sure exactly what she meant by that, but. I will say, you know, that's something people noticed last night, a lot of personal shots being taken at her more so than policy-related shots, um, both on her, people commenting about her kids. Um, And so that those types of comments, I think people are very tired of hearing because D.C. is already so toxic. And look, I get it. You want to come out against your your opponent. Um, But with the people I was with, and we hosted five different watch parties across the state last night, it's consistently at all of them people are getting tired of the personal shots and want to keep it you know policy related because they're not making their decision on who they vote for based off of like taking a personal shot on someone um they would rather hear substantive policy debate happening right the other thing i took away from it is uh i've 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 been sort of looking at tim scott as sort of a weakling and his grasp of the facts I found to be impressive. The only thing where he lost me is when he would start some of his, uh, you know, some of his answers with giving us his background about his mom and his poverty. We know that. I understand that. I accept that. I know that he's an extraordinary man, but he seemed to have a firmer grasp on some of the facts, uh, you know, when he started talking about uh, entitlements and everything and talking about where the money's going and everything else. And uh, but some of the questions they were asked were sort of silly. Did you think some yeah, of the questions they, they were asked were sort of silly? Yeah, I do. I mean, we've had silly questions this whole time. I mean, I think back to the UFO question that Chris Christie got in one of the first debates. Um, so I think that there's been silly questions all the whole time. And, and for Tim Scott, you know, he's one who people were waiting to see if he was even going to make the debate stage last yeah. night because of the qualifications that were there. Of You know, you've got to have a certain number of donors and you've got to have uh, 4% polling across, you know, national polling. What does that potentially look like? And so... You know, that's someone who people were watching to see, one, does he even make the debate stage? And he did. And then, two, like, can he prove that he needs to be there on the debate stage? And I think some of his answers, as you mentioned, some he has a sound grasp on policy, but he, that's not reflected in some of the polling that we're seeing or, you know, conversations that we're having at the door. And 
you know, for folks who really want to have someone who is strong on policy, I don't know that that is that his stances on things is necessarily resonating in a way that it might have. He is he is solid on policy. But again, when you've got other choices, people are looking to someone of who's going to step up and be that leader. He's been in Washington for a long time. Um, he's had the opportunity to, you know, potentially be in some leadership roles for a while. Like, what does that look like? How does that resonate, um, you know, with folks, um, not just here in South Carolina? And, you know, you mentioned he tells the story a lot. We all know it. But I don't know if he's if he feels like he needs to um, repeat that for folks across the country who might be tuning in. And again, I don't know how many people tuned into an NBC debate. I didn't go and pull those numbers, um, having Lester Holt and some of those folks moderating. Um, the debate was definitely very a very different feel than having some of the Fox narrators that we have previously. Well, I mean, Hugh Hewitt got out there and he wanted to know how big should the Navy be? Right now, at the same time, we got thirty four trillion dollars in debt, but we want to build more ships. There's you got to you got to get the horse and put it in front of the cart to pull the cart, not put the cart in front of the horse. Yeah, what, a what thousand percent. Yeah. So some of the, and, and with his debt, both parties are guilty of adding to the national debt. Sure, That's not sure. a single party thing. And so yep. figuring out like what they would do to cut some of that spending, cut the pork spending. And now that we are eight days from a potential government shutdown, looking at all of those appropriations bills, continuing resolutions, how are we going to fund things? All of those conversations are, are very pertinent and things that they should be able to have solid conversations around solving. Are you still there, Candace? It sounded like we just lost you. Are you still there? Yes, I am. Oh, okay, okay, yes. okay, good, good. So, I mean, did you think the TikTok question was as, as silly as I... I mean, with everything going on in the United States today, we're concerned about TikTok. And I know what it is, and I know it's an app, and I know it's a Chinese app, and I know they don't allow our apps over there and everything else. But I just sort of look at TikTok as a voluntary uh, waster of time. Uh, given well, what the, I thought was... Yeah, what I thought was interesting about that question is if you watch the ads, in the they had, they yeah, commercial they had a TikTok ad. They running ads about TikTok. <laughs> so, they did. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And NBC was running a TikTok ad, making it out to be very wholesome and very good for, for, for family businesses. I saw that one. Right, right. Never mind the questions that they're asking around it. So that yeah. seemed a little hypocritical to me to have the you know, question on it and then to run ads on it. And, and there were a lot of people who picked up on that of like, wait a minute, they're running an ad on TikTok yeah. with the Republican banner in the background. So definitely an interesting question that people, you know, there's, as you mentioned, there's bigger things going on um, than, than needing to address some of the apps like that. So if I had to rank anybody, I would have to say that the, uh, first of all, I look at that as the bench. Because they're young, right? Christie's Christie's getting up there, but for the most part, it, that's a younger generation up there. So I'm, I'm very happy about the bench that we have. Uh, it would be really interesting to see Trump thrown in the middle of that. But I, I don't think we're going to see that. So um, right now, the only one that actually is doing anything, I, I think, so I, I sort of think DeSantis comes out ahead on that one just because he can actually point to things. I just did this last week. I just went and rescued these Israelis, these, these Floridians that were in Israel the other day or in Gaza the other day. Uh, you know, he can actually point to things he's actually doing right now. Tr Scott could do it, except, like you said, he really hasn't done a whole lot. So Scott can't get out there and say, well, I've done this, this, and this. All he can talk about is the facts as he you know them. And the rest of them 
are not currently in office, so they can't really speak to anything. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think what's interesting about those folks is, you know, one, as you mentioned, this is the bench of folks, but also we've talked about this last time I was on the bill. Like, this is like the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl in February. Yeah. And so people have to start making their moves to show that they deserve to move on to the next playoff debate you know, stage in in December. And then what does that look like? We are 107 days away, not that I'm counting, but 107 (laughs) days away from the primary here in South Carolina. And a lot of the voters that we have connected with, and we have connected with over 1.3 million voters across the state just since March, talking to them about the upcoming presidential election. And a lot of folks are still either undecided or just now tuning in to the debate. So So I think in South Carolina... It's an interesting opportunity for these candidates to really try to get to work, to you know, so, have the opportunity to talk to voters here. I'm running out of time, but I got to ask you this question. So, does this? You remember when Lindsey Graham was last up for election? We had five or six people that wanted to primary them, and they all got out there. None of them ever distinguished themselves from the rest of them. And in the end, Lindsey Graham got the nomination. Does this remind you of that? So Is anybody distinguishing themselves? Yeah. Well, I think there's still time, right? Like there's, uh, I mean, I mentioned it's 170. There's still time for them to distinguish themselves from from one another on the first place. But also a lot of the polling that we're seeing is like such a snapshot in time. And because we are so far out, I think at this point, like people could still, um, things can still change. One viral viral thing away, right? Yeah. 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 So there are some folks that should get out, narrow that field down. But I think that there is an opportunity for some of those candidates to continue to shine. Well, in any event, we'll have to do this again just because it's fun to sit back and do it. I didn't know you had a watch party. I'm sure that was I, – I should have been at that one too because I always have bail money with me whenever I go out. <laughs> yes, yes. I will definitely invite you to the one in December. It'll be a good time. Very good, very good. Candace Carroll, Americans for Prosperity, thank you for taking the time to join me, young lady. Of course. Have a great day. Yes, ma'am. You know, you got a bunch of billionaires out there today, and they are manipulating the world. But how? This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. You know, tomorrow this time, I'm going to be at Tiger Express Car Wash in Easley, South Carolina. They are located at 5404 Calhoun Memorial Highway. And they're going to be, it's day before Veterans Day, so all veterans, if you want to come by there, going to be there noon to 12, you get a free car wash. And there's nothing quite like being a veteran with a clean car. And they know about that all day long at any of their locations. They also have branches in Pendleton at 7540 US 76 and Clemson at 1069 Tiger Boulevard. But I'm going to be in Easley, so come and check me out. My my uh, the 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 Odyssey crew is going to be there. They always turn out. It's it's quite the party when we get together. So that that's happening tomorrow. 10 to noon, Tiger Car Wash, 5404 Calhoun Memorial Highway. Did you know that during the COVID lockdown in the span of just a few months in 2020? 
Bill Gates made $75 billion. Jeff Bezos made 69 point, or excuse me, $67.9 billion. Zuckerberg, 37.8. Musk, 33.6. Did you know that Coke and Pepsi is ultimately, ultimately owned by the same thing, same place? <laughs> Did you know that six, cor six corporations control 90% of all U.S. media? And the richest 0.01% account for 40% of all ca campaign contributions through corporate donations. So, as you and I exist today, understand that the billionaires dominate our way of life. They dominate what we eat, drink, watch on TV, what we wear, and who we vote for. 82% of all wealth generated in 2017 went to the richest 1%. And the poorest world population of 3.7 billion saw no increase in wealth. Now, small business owners, you know, not the big, big dogs, not the big billionaire dogs, but the small business owners, they experienced a lot of turmoil. And th one third of them went bankrupt. And black owned businesses suffered disproportionately due to this lockdown that otherwise profited the billionaires. So, in a way, if you want, so using the macro term again, the macro historic perspective, we are regressing in the West. And we have the billionaire, the ultra-rich are becoming the globalist version of feudal lords. And counterintuitively, all of these Marxists, with, with possibly one exception, and I'm not real sure about him, all of these, uh, all of these billionaires are sort of Marxist in their belief system, because they're all, to a large part, maybe not Zuckerberg, but you know, in the '60s we had the free sex and drugs movement, and Marxism, which was, uh, you know, it was under the guise of materialistic stuff. It wormed its way into Western culture and has corrupted and destroyed everything that made us great. And in the, in the meantime, while that was happening, we were all being teed up for manipulation and control. A writer, what's, what's this young lady's name? Hannah Herland. She has written a book and she wrote a book uh, called, what's this book called? Uh, the Billionaire World, How Marxism Serves the Elite. She writes, The Marxist attack on historic Western values has weakened the very core of our culture, destroyed social stability and the family, quenched free speech and silenced the people, and removed the obstacles for the billionaire class to gain centralized control. And the combination of strong private corporations coupled with political social, socialist ideologies has pushed for a radical groupthink model in which the population is expected to agree with the consensus. Not unlike that which we witnessed during National Socialism in Germany during and before and during World War II. Marxism is always looking for places. It's, it's, it's basically the Cliven uh, and uh, Howard, Cliven uh, and Howard, whatever it is. That thing. They're waiting for something to crash and then they're just going to swoop in. And they're going to have this group think with them. And this is all going to, and, 
You know, in the words of Vladimir Lenin, we must be ready to employ trickery, deceit, law-breaking, withholding, and concealing the truth. We can and must write in a language which sows among the masses hate, revulsion, and scorn towards those who disagree with us. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like what we're going through, doesn't it? The billionaires, got to look at them with a, you know, got to look at them with a jaundiced eye. Hey, you know what? You want to know what's killing our, killing the climate now? What's killing Gaia? All that deforestation for solar panels. Yeah. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. I am going to be out and about tomorrow. The show goes on the road. We're going to be at Tiger Car Wash, 5504, excuse me, 5404, 5404 Calhoun Memorial Highway. And uh, this is going to be for the veterans. Veterans, come by. I'll figure out if you're a veteran. I just got to ask you a couple of questions. And uh, come by and get that free car wash. And I'm, I'm... I hope I had some. I hope I have some other stuff for you there. We'll see. We're gonna see. I don't know. I hope. I hope we do. But we'll, we'll see. Anyway, we'll see. <laughs> That's tomorrow, ten to noon, just for you. Um, we could solve any atmospheric problem we may have as far as quality of air by planting trees, which is uh, absolutely one of those things that I get out there and I'm like, and yet. Like Scotland just got rid of 15 million trees to make some solar panel fields. Isn't that stupid? Now, we get this from the College Fix. Since 2010, over 5,000 acres of natural and working lands have been destroyed for solar development in Massachusetts, resulting in the emission of over a half million metric tons of CO2 more than the annual emissions of 100,000 passenger cars. Under current sitting practices, or siting practices, excuse me, thousands of acres of forest farms and other carbon-rich landscapes are being converted to host large-scale solar. Do you know what that sounds like to me? This sounds like the inner city, you know, and I know you're gonna, everybody's going to go, oh, Bill's going this way again, but this is the template they use. They create an environment where that which they have vilified is going to become prominent, like increased CO2 in this case. And then they get out there and say, but now we got to take your cars and your ribeyes and your dogs. They're doing this in the inner city right now. Yeah, you, you can have a gun, but you can't carry it here, 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 here. And then, but on the other hand, we're going to let all these criminals and rapists out and uh, you can't, you can't defend yourself. And it is so, I mean, it defies logic. How do you get out there and destroy a beautiful green landscape and replace the trees and forests with a bunch of black panels to make the earth greener? This is why I shaved my head, because I'd pull my hair out over some of this stuff. 
Um, solar technology and wind technology, they both are so unreliable, it is pathetic. The panels only work when the sun shines. So we know that at nighttime, when there is no sun, they're not, they're not gathering any energy. And when we know it's when it's a cloudy day, they're not producing as many as much energy as many energy. Swear to God, I graduated from high school the first time. Solar is a great augmentation, and I've said this before. If you're going camping, right, and you don't want to carry a million six battery banks, and you want to carry a solar panel, and maybe one battery bank to charge from that solar panel, Viola. You have come up on a great idea. But getting out there and saying, we will, we, will, we will power a city. That's like being Don Quixote and yelling at the windmills. They have had so much cash thrown at them. And yet, all they are is a money-sucking black hole. And then just like the batteries on the electric cars when they when these panels reach the end of their lifespan they become toxic waste because they contain high amounts of heavy, heavy metals <laughs> so they estimated by 2016 the photovoltaics had spread about 11,000 tons of lead and 8,000 or excuse me 800 tons of cadmium and Exposure to cadmium can lead to serious lung irritation and long-lasting impairment of pulmonary functions. Isn't that lovely? Hmm? By 2050, on this current stupid trajectory we find ourselves hurtling down into the abyss end, the disposal of worn-out solar panels will con constitute over double the tonnage of all of today's global plastic waste. Ah, that, you know, couldn't we have some nice farms there? Couldn't we grow some food there? Couldn't we let the couldn't we let I mean animals, right? Animals, habitats. I mean, I, I personally like trees. I love the way I, I love the fact that there's some trees that have seen so much of the life of this planet compared to us, compared to us puny humans. And you know, they, they get out there and they find a place and they'll have a you know a, a tree that was here when the earth was being formed, they'll be like, I'll just bulldoze it. Because we're going to make it a green space. We're going to put solar panels in here and some wind wind tunnel, wind, wind, wind turbines. Won't that be so much more fun to look at than when the seasons turn and the leaves turn and all that other stuff? Won't that be much, so much more fun? I'm telling you, this is a special kind of uh, mental illness. It's, it really is. It's, it is one of those things where you get out there and you just wonder to yourself, do you really believe what you're saying? Are you going to tell me that taking down 10 million trees is better for the environment and putting up black panels that are going to become toxic waste somewhere down the line? When does a tree become toxic? Does a tree ever become toxic? Has a tree ever become toxic? I know the answer. They know the answer. It's it just, you know, defies logic, just like everything else left does. Hey, I'll see you guys at Tiger Car Wash tomorrow morning. I'll be there. Come see me. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.